All right, everybody, welcome to the 287th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, chilling live and direct from Beaverton, Oregon, doing a really bad job of packing to uh, go to Medford for a week. Like all my clothes are on my bed waiting to get packed. So I have that for me. But the rest of the shit, like a week long stay at your parents' house. I am so unprepared for this shit. So when you make that long, tedious drive, I mean, I I hate making just the drive to Albany, which is an hour and 15. When you're driving all the way down to Southern Oregon, how do you pass the time? So I, I, I listen to one hour of music and then audio books and podcasts, but really we'll, I, I mean, I've driven this drive so much that it's like a time for me to like, obviously not meditate is the bad word for it, but like, just think for myself without like any distractions for an hour. Like I'm not checking my phone, obviously I'm not trying to die in, you know, grants pass or whatever. So I'm like, just thinking, having a clear head. So the trip down doesn't suck because like once you get past like the big cities of Oregon, it's just you in the road. So when when coming up, I can't like pontificate about some subject that's in my mind on the way to Portland, but down to Medford. That, that's just fine. But, uh, you know, if U.S. Bank didn't screw me over, I, I'd be having much more fun thinking about stuff. And so trying to scramble to get my money. What's on your hour-long hip-hop playlist? Who, who, who are you going to go to tomorrow morning? <clears throat> I don't know. I haven't checked. I usually go with, uh, I mean, because we're on Apple iTunes, I, I'm an Apple guy, and they give me a bunch of playlists. So let's see what is on the uh, recommended for me page or uh, playlist. Oh, there's a Slaughterhouse album that they're trying to promote to me. No, thank you. So some Odyssey, some Cannabis, some OC and Apollo Brown, Fonte, Royce to Five Nine, Rest in Peace to Slaughterhouse, Sky Zoo, John Connor, Gangstar, Sean Price, and Kill a Priest. I would so, say that OC head. in Apollo Brown album is super chill vibes. Like mm-hmm. I listened to that. I was really stressed from work one day and I just took a walk, put the headphones in. And Did I you had listen that to album. Take a Walk by OC and Apollo Brown? It's whatever album that you gave yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. No, there's a, it's, there's a, a song called Take a Walk, I believe. Is it on that album? Yeah. Then I probably listened yeah, to it. Yeah. I mean, it was just like super chill i was really stressed and i was like you know got outside breathe the fresh air and like it just that that was my mood i really wanted something chill but with a nice beat um apollo so I, does I, some fantastic production did you absolutely. know he uses some like microsoft uh uh digital software from like the 2000s to make all those beats he doesn't use like uh you know uh, ableton or whatever he uses some janky janky software to to make it and then apollo i mean uh, oc is one of the best rappers like if you've listened to word life that's one of the best hip-hop albums ever like you throw that on a party it doesn't get skipped you listen to it by yourself doesn't get skipped people don't give him his flowers but he's one of the best uh mcs out there and shit if it ain't broke doesn't need to be fixed that's what he's comfortable making music with mm-hmm. so you know, salute to you. Don't no need to reinvent the wheel here. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people want that, like the most highly technical digital audio like software. Dude's using some shit like cool edit 
like 2000 or something. Like it, it's crazy. So is that the equivalent of a graphic designer saying, nah, fuck Microsoft or fuck uh, Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop. I'm using Microsoft Paint. Yeah. 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 No, Mario. Paint. It would be like Mario Paint on the fucking uh, Super Nintendo. <laughs> All right. I think that's enough uh, non-hoop talk. Let's get into the episode, shall we, Sage? Uh, The Blazers have spent life on the road. Uh, Their second to last road trip of the season kicked off last Monday, uh, losing 122 to 113 to Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. Kept it close for a minute in Madison Square Garden before R.J. Barrett and the Knicks ended up winning 128-98. Had a 13-point lead on Friday at the half against the Brooklyn Nets. Then Kevin Durant and Seth Curry really awoken and started taking the Blazers seriously, to be honest, winning 128-123. to And then I think in maybe the most surprising result of the, their trip so far, uh, the Indiana Pacers really from start to finish uh, set the tone in a must-lose scenario for Portland, uh, defeating the Blazers 129-98. to for those keeping score at home, that puts the Blazers at 26 and 44 on the season with 12 games to go, six on the road, six at home. The Spurs picked up an unexpected win in the Bay tonight, giving them 28 wins, which is fabulous. Unfortunately, the Kings could not hold the Suns off in Sacramento. The Kings still have 25 wins on the year, as do the Indiana Pacers. So it's looking like the Blazers barring something crazy over these past 12 games, will end up anywhere between fifth or eight in the lottery odds heading into the postseason. And as we always do, check in on our friends in New Orleans. We do have their pick if it's in the lottery uh, five through 14. They are currently tied with the Lakers uh, for that for the playing spot, really, it's really going to come down to them at 30 and 41. Doesn't appear that there's a shot that they can catch the Clippers uh, for eighth. So it's really just going to be monitoring where that pick falls if they do not make the playoffs. At the moment, uh, I looked at uh, 538, um, the win projections. It has Portland staying at seventh at the end of the season. It projects Portland to win five more games. Uh, finishing below the Spurs, but not good enough to pass the Pacers or Kings. However, that is why they play the games. Uh, Sage, what was your good for the week? I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to be selfish. And uh, I'm I'm helping some people do daily fantasy now. And I really liked Kevin Durant because of price point. And they kept saying that he was, they were going to blow him out. The the Nets were going to blow us out. And I said, you can't project blowouts when you do gambling. And I didn't project a blowout. And I had a lot more Kevin Durant. And because of that, I made a lot more money than a lot of people with the Kevin Durant play. So the the whole the old adage of you can't project blowouts in the NBA is my good for the week. I know you're going to get the losses, so I'll just be selfish. Attaboy. Um, absolutely. I think the, the losses are incredibly helpful right now at, at this stage of, of the season. I mean, as you're seeing, it's, it's incredibly hard to pass. It's harder. I feel like to pass teams when you're trying to tank rather than you're trying to pass them or playoff positioning. And Portland has some really winnable games coming up and the Indiana game was one of them. So to see Indiana 
uh, handle business what was marvelous, but also I think it's really good. The road trip that Josh Hart is having, I would like to see the minutes reduced. Like for instance, there's no reason for him to play 38 minutes, uh, in Atlanta and 40 minutes at Brooklyn. Like we're really, we're just trying to be competitive. We're not trying as an org. I mean, obviously the players are trying to win, but the organization should be on the same page and saying, you know, let's just make this competitive, but there's, now's not the time to like really go full throttle for, for victory. So I was really happy to see that, you know, Josh Hart uh, had 26 points on a, an incredible 11 of 13 shooting uh, in 30 minutes and he didn't play any in the fourth. So that, that was a wonderful job by the organization. Uh, he's been on an absolute heater over his past five, going back to that Washington performance, 44 points uh, on 15 of 21 shooting, in Atlanta, 31 on 11 of 21. Uh, at New York, 17 on 6 of 15 shooting. At Brooklyn, 25 points on 9 of 18 shooting. Then, as I said, uh, 26 points this afternoon on 11 of 13 shooting. He's shooting incredibly efficient from three at the line, uh, the midi. Um, he's handing out a lot of assists, which is great as he works on his playmaking ability. Uh, clearly, he is the only "quote unquote" adult in the lineup, but it's it's still impressive when you see the the talent around him and knowing the defenses could just uh, key in on him all 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 game long. So for him to kind of take this next step is really good because you imagine what he's doing now, and then kind of project it. Okay, how is he going to look alongside Dame or Anthony? And that's just going to make his life so much easier, and he's going to be getting even better looks. So. Um, if you're looking for a bright spot, especially from that CJ McCollum trade, it, it's Josh Hart, you know, two more years on a really affordable $13 million season contract, uh, still just 27 years old. And uh, I, I mean, I think that that's, he's got to be one of the best value players in the league, especially. Ab- absolutely. And you know what he does, it, it transfers like it's effort. And I mean, I, it's something that we've discussed a lot. Defense is about effort and Josh Hart's about that. I, I would say when we first got Josh Hart, he let Brandon Williams be that alpha and he kind of was just fading in the back. And then I think there was a, when he dropped his 40, he was aggressive and kept that aggressive mind state throughout the entire rest of the, the games that we played. Because I, I would say, like, he helped tank for a while, letting Brandon and those other guys lead. Now he's taking the reins, and we're more, more more competitive, and he's usually shooting at a good percentage. So him stepping up into a leadership role is great. Because there was times where I was just like, you know, Brandon's going to just take all these shots. And that that's not good for anyone in anything. So having Josh be the number one in this really weird season that we're going through is a, is a great thing. Did you have a bad for the week? Yeah. I, I think it's silly that, uh, and I'm still, I, I mean, I think we have the same bad, so I'm, I'm just going to say it. Um, us playing Chris Dunn for 27, 28 minutes and giving Keon, you know, like zero minutes for a game and seven for another. I, I, I think Chris Dunn has played better than I've seen him in an NBA uniform. And that's great. But there no, is no reason not to play the guy that's the youngest on the roster, the most. We don't know what he is at all. Zero minutes in a game in this type of era. Like, 
you, you kind of know what Brandon is like, cut his minutes down, cut uh, Chris Dunn's minutes down. You don't need to play Chris Dunn 28 minutes in a, in a non-competitive game. That needs to be the young guys, like the people you don't know. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's the bad, but I do have to give Chris some props. This is such, this is such a better uh, performance from him that I've seen in a uh, uniform, uh, in an NBA uniform. So he's doing a really good job. He's competing. Yeah. I would say that's my bad for the week too. When I was, you know, checking on, on Brooklyn, I was like, why, why isn't Keon playing? Why isn't Greg Brown playing? Like these are your draft picks on, on the season, along with Watford, who, who you found as an undrafted free agent. Like why, why is Ben McLemore taking 14, 15 shots? Like what, what, what's going on? Like, this is the most developmental of developmental seasons. And the organization was doing a good job early on in the month, getting him playing time. You're looking at 30 minutes at Utah, 26 in one game against Minnesota, 29 in the other. And then it goes to 15 at home against Washington does get 23 against Atlanta, but then only 18 23 isn't enough though. Let, let's no, he should be 30. It, it's better than what it has yeah. been like, like 18 against the Knicks doesn't play at all. And no reason was specified against the, the Brooklyn Nets. And then 19 today against Indiana. Like, I think it's important to keep Josh Hart rolling, but also you don't need to push him too hard. Like, I think there is some, some form of like, okay, let's just save this and bottle this up for, for next year. Like you don't, you want to keep him him fluid and you want to keep a rhythm, but you don't want to risk uh, any sort of a, a silly injury. And also if we're being honest, you, you don't want to win a game that you don't want to like back into a win. Like that could really be the difference between landing a top four pick and having a team, you know, maybe jump you in, in the lottery. So like, it's, it's such a weird per, uh, predicament to be in, especially as a Blazer fan, like the past nine years, you've only been looking for, okay, who are we trying to jump in the playoff standings? And now you're actively like trying to lose and you see it. Like you look at the social media comments, um, nine out of 10 fans are like just elated that the team is losing right now. Like everyone is buying into the vision this season. And I think a way to buy into that vision is also like, Oh, like we may have not drafted Keon Johnson, but he's on the roster and he's going to be on the roster. He's got a guaranteed first round uh, contract. He is our, farm system right now like we need to see what what he can be because as you mentioned he's a player that is a a long-term prospect and he needs these minutes he needs them more than Ben McLemore he needs them more than than Brandon and Chris and and Josh even like let's really see what he can do and I think ideally you build him up and you give him that momentum that he needs going into the offseason going into summer league like the last thing you want is a player low on confidence ending the season and then having no real supervised like team activities, mm. right? Like you want to get him and really any young prospect, great momentum heading into that off season. So they're like, okay, like I, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on that. Like you just get that motivation to, to start that grind uh, all over again. So if this was the 2K camp and you can send – uh, Keon to any camp, where would you ta- have him go? Oh, and I can't split like at least a couple of points. Nah, it's it's one camp. Oh, it's so hard because I'm torn between strength and I'm torn between jump shooting. Like I think he needs both, especially as a young player. Like I mean, 
we're going to be talking about a player, a prospect later on where strength is really the, the, the major factor between them being great or out of the league possibly. So like Keon is not only uh raw in, in his skills, he, he looks smaller than, than I thought. So he definitely came out early. He got that first round money, but I mean, it's hard. It's, it's like, to me, it's almost like chicken or the egg. What, what happens first? Because I don't think you can have one without the other. So maybe you can send him to shooting camp and I'll send him to, to strength camp. You know where I would go? I'd go to playmaking camp. Because I, the shot, like, it's be, I feel like it's bad. He's been doing better than I thought. So kudos to him. But I don't trust it as a... Uh, sustainable resource so what i would do is i believe in the playmaking let's improve the playmaking so he can actually contribute with that because i think his vision's good I, I i like chauncey billups loves to talking about the kick the drive kick and shoot keon can do the driving and finding the uh the player like we watched ben Mac, uh ben matherin today i think keon has the ben matherin uh, vision like where he finds the players in the right spot. Like I, I've seen Keon do that in a worse spacing Tennessee. So if I had the uh, the uh, the honor of sending him to a two K camp, I would do playmaking and have that be his thing because I think the God given athleticism, if he can get use his handle to use that to get dunks, I think that creates more value than him getting a little bit better at shooting. So. I, I would I would go the playmaking route. Did you have an ugly for the week? And when it's all losses and the my main concern is that our rookie doesn't get playing. I mean, I, I think we addressed what the bad was for for this week. Yeah, I would say I didn't have one either. Like the, the, they understood the assignment that that's what it was. You go on a road trip. You need to rack up some losses. You need to have a couple teams pass you. Um, that that's that's all I, I would say. Like I think that the week was a, a success in terms of what we are now equating to success in this rebuilding uh, season, so to speak. So with that said, is there anything else about this team? Like we we know what the objective is like they're they're trotting out a team right now that is trying to just see the finish line like they're trying to see that lad at the end of the tunnel there's 12 games remaining when when you watch is is there anything that any of the young players are doing that you're like okay i can see that i can take that in they can bottle that up for next season or is it just like running out the, running out the clock like let's just get this done as quick and as dirty as possible i mean you addressed the josh hart thing so I, I think that it's good for him to get that run and the success of and being that, you know, high. I don't think Josh Hart's ever been more than the third best player on any roster. Like, you know, the Lakers, he had LeBron, you had Brandon, you had all of these players in New Orleans, he had Brandon. Like, this is his chance to be that shining star, and he's contributing. Um, you know, we we mentioned a meme already. Uh, I think Brandon uh, Williams is sometimes good, sometimes shit. So I, this team is this team, man. Like we constructed something really special in terms of sucking. 
Yeah, and I think it's important when you're watching this team to know that I think there's only one player really guaranteed to come back next year. I think that's Josh Hart. Mm-hmm. That's currently playing. I think you could probably bank on Trendon, and I think you could probably bank on Keon. You know, they extended Watford's contract. Keon is still your your long term project. I but think do those we, others who have a rotation spot, or are they just chilling? No, on the no, they do not have a rotation spot next year. In in my opinion, uh, I think Watford is closer than Keon Johnson. What I am seeing though is I see a lot of players that are not really producing, and I think they're kind of making their future known within the organization. And I'm primarily speaking about CJ Ellaby and Elijah Hughes. Like I, I think when you look at the Blazers and, and the guards they already have with Lillard and Simons and Hart and, and Keon as your prospect and the, with the four picks and it being such a good guard heavy class, I, I don't see any reason or any scenario in which players like Hughes and Ellaby would be brought back even, even on two-way contracts. Like you're just, you're just running out of room and you, you need size. And um, I think but, roster space is way more valued than it is currently. Yeah. And I would also say justice has an opportunity to come back as well. Uh, he's, he's guaranteed at least I think $4 million. So um, he could maybe sneak in. I think it's going to be um, a little bit more tricky as players start to get healthy, particularly in this year little, um, and to see what Portland does with whatever exception they want to use, whatever free agent money, like whatever avenue uh, they decide. But you're really just looking at Josh Hart. And I think that's what makes this this particular rebuild, uh, I think, more difficult to watch. Because when I was, you know, discussing in the past, like, you know, I would drive up 10, 15 times a year and go watch like the 05 Blazers yeah, they were god awful. They they were the worst, one of the worst teams in the league. But you had a rookie point guard in Sebastian Telfair. Uh, they had two first round picks, Sergey Manya and Victor Kriapa, which you could you know see how they were developing. They had a fun second round pick, big Hassan Jin. Uh, you still had Zach Randolph, who was in the midst of trying to you know win uh, most improved player. He there had won it the year before, or not, but he was putting up stats. He was still young, so you had multiple players that you're watching. When it's this team, to me, it's it's you're seeing if Josh Hart can keep up the efficiency and maybe seeing flashes from Trendon and flashes from, from Keon. And that's that's really it. So that's that's tough to watch because you you know Ben McLemore is probably not coming back. Chris Dunn's just trying to have his cup. He's just trying to get a paycheck, to be honest. Same thing with Brandon. He's trying Williams. to get a, a next year's contract. Yeah, Drew Eubanks doing the same thing. Like they're not not trying, they're they're doing their job. Tr- they have to be trying their absolute hardest. But there's no, I don't think, I can't envision any of those players playing a role on this team next year in any capacity. And so when your whole vision as a fan is next season and beyond, it's, it's really hard to, to pay attention and get invested in a squad where 10% of the, of the players are, are really going to be coming back and do anything for you next year. So it's, it's extra difficult, I would say, to get through this season. If you had to choose between Elijah Hughes and CJ Ellerby, who would you choose? This is going to sound really shitty. I would take Elijah Hughes because I've seen less of him. I, I've seen too much of CJ Ellerby. And that's, I'm not trying to come across like a dick, but watching Ellerby, it's not quite the same as, as Summer League when we featured Jeff Pendergraph, now Jeff Ayers, and we're, we were just dumping the ball into him and saying, hey, can you score low post? Can you score ISO face up? He did not have it in the game. 
but they kept trying to force it to see if that's what he could do. I don't even feel like we're trying to force it with CJ Ellaby, but like, he's not even hitting his jumpers. Like I think he's hustling, which is great, but like, he's not the player that he was at Washington state. And he, he had his moment that Philadelphia game last year, the CJ Ellaby game. Yes. He's playing out of position. I think you brought up a good point a couple episodes ago about that. And it's, it's hard to evaluate, but I've got to see more. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen flashes from Trendon. We've seen flashes from Greg. I, I haven't seen that from CJ Ellaby. And so I, I think it's, it's tough. I'll go with Elijah. I think he's got a little bit better NBA body. Um, and what we'll see if, if that is able to pan out, but I mean, if, if you made me pick, I, I would take Elijah. I would take CJ Ellerby because I looked at their stats. Both of them are on the Tony Snell, uh, level of production where they're just on the court chilling. CJ Ellerby is a little bit more productive in the time that he's there. So I would take him. But they're both like Tony Snell is like a god to what they're doing. So you knew how I felt about Tony Snell on the Blazers. So two two Tony Snells just seems like nah, dog. Um, I got to get more production from you. And it, it and CJ Ellerby is playing a lot of minutes. So the fact that his production level is so low, not good. Elijah Hughes you might can't not even be. per 36 that and be like, oh, if he had 36 minutes, this is what he would be doing. No, no this man, is- it's like he gets a statistic every two minutes. Like when you're on the basketball court, you're supposed to be doing something other than running up and down, man. That that I mean, there's a bias that I have of players that don't produce minutes, obviously, because I would do this DFS shit. But like that is such a bad rate. But and Elijah Hughes is much worse. So, I mean, neither would be the right answer. But a gun to my head, I guess I'd take Ellerby. But then I, I would also have to think, what about the pay scale? Because if I'm paying them, I want the cheapest one if they're not going to produce much in the uh, on the court. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's tough, man. Like it's hard to evaluate. But when you're on the court and given minutes in the most, you know, like this this is the highest league in the in the world, so. If you're just not producing at all when all the production is given to you, like that's tough. I mean, I, I remember a week ago you asked me what I thought of uh, uh, Watford and like I looked it up like without Dame, CJ, because I had to have CJ in there, uh, Norman, Robert, uh, Anthony, like all the good players. I think I named him all Yusuf too. He's taken the most shots. Like he's taken 105 and the next person on the list is 63. Trendon's actually producing. He's inefficient when he shoots, but like he's actually producing. The fact that CJ Ellerby's on the fort court for the same amount of time and not doing anything. Kind of, it's kind of sketchy, but you know, we, we've talked about CJ Ellerby's uh, lack of production I think every podcast for the last month. So it, it's yeah, tough I mean, to rail on the guy, to, but to, to, you know, piggyback on CJ, but, you know, speaking of evaluation, uh, we spent Thursday and a Saturday in Portland for the round one and round two men's basketball, uh, March madness. We saw six total games, uh, Boise state, Memphis, Georgia state, Gonzaga, Indiana, St. Mary's UCLA, Akron, and then on Saturday, it was um, St. Mary's and UCLA and Gonzaga and Memphis. 
let's spend, I think, the, the rest of the episode talking about seeing the prospects, some that we've talked about for Future Fridays, actually in person. Like, what, what stood out to you the most, and who do you want to start with? I mean, th- this tournament... I mean, we're we're a Portland Trailblazers podcast, but the first word in that is Portland. And we got a treat like this stuff doesn't happen every year where a city like Portland is one of the first four. So it was like when tickets came on sale, I I told Dustin, let's go to all of them. It's such a special treat, man. So being able to go to the game, sit for 12 hours watching basketball and drinking cheap beer it it was it was a memory and a a time that i'll cherish so very excited um yeah so if pro tip if you you go to any event at the rose quarter hit up low bar on the 300 level four dollar rainier beers It, it is the best value by a million in in that gym otherwise you're spending 12 bucks for a pint of coors light or you're spending 13 bucks for uh, a craft IPA, which if, if that's your jam, like I, I enjoy a good craft beer. If I'm buying beer for myself, it is, you know, probably some local Oregon, like Porter, Stout, Lager, whatever you name. It's, you know, it's what I like to drink, but sometimes I like a good domestic Rainier's, you know, Northwest. So fuck it for $4. Yeah. We're going to have a few of those and a couple of slices of uh, sizzle pie, which I, I think is also a decent value. So, you know, we definitely had to find our groove. Uh, we got thrown for a loop a little bit. Uh, there was a bit of a, a snafu after session one ended, we went and checked on the car to make sure there was no parking ticket. We were good to go there. And as we're walking back for the start of session two, which was Indiana St. Mary's, it was just like a bunch of salmon starting to go upstream. Like they, they weren't opening the, the doors and the lines that were formed 10 minutes ago started to get really murky and it, we were all building up like a dam and everyone's like, yeah, the game has started. So by the time we got in there, the first half was already halfway through. Uh, so that was a bit of a, a bummer, but good to only site that had that issue. Uh, I believe when Duke and Cal state Fullerton tipped off, um, on the East coast, they, or excuse me, I think it was wherever it was, they had the same issue. That was the start of session two. So it's just an NCA thing. They stagger the games. They, there needs to be more time between those two, but really aside from that, it was, it was super fun, um, to watch prospects, especially like as somewhat impartial, like rooting for underdogs, but like at the end of the day, I didn't really have a vested interest in who won or who lost. It's just fun to see, um, some prospects that you can be like, okay, are they going to be good NBA players? How are they, how are they, you know, playing the stakes are high. Like this is one and done. This is it. It's a neutral site. Um, really great. I think the, the day one, 80% capacity, I bet day two, you could tell there was a noticeable difference that the place was packed hundred percent. Um, and especially for that, uh, Gonzaga Memphis game that the crowd was really into it. So, Let's let's talk about the Boise's. Let's go back to series uh, uh, session one, though, because I think we skipped over all of the actual gameplay and talked about the beers and pizza that we enjoyed. Well, the beer is the best part. I thought the best part was watching Jalen Dern uh, play defense, man. Like my my absolute disdain to watch Memphis play offense makes it so I don't want to watch that team very much. 
but the way that they as a unit hustled defensively, it was great. And then to see Jalen be that that guy that cleans up everything and like he might not have blocked the shot, but he definitely contested and made the shot a lot different. Like you can tell that when he was on the floor for every game that he played, that opposing guard knew where he was and affected shots. Like, and I feel the same with Chet, but we're talking about Jalen. Just to see that amount of like the hops that he has to contest and get rebounds, like that first jump. And then the second jump after that is pretty special, but the way the I'm just so impressed with the effort defensively that he's shown when he was on the court, when he wasn't getting all these bullshit fouls of, you know, touching the, the almighty drew Timmy. Yeah. I mean, I, I left feeling probably the same way I did going into watching Jalen Duran. I think he's going to make his impact off the bat on the defensive end. I think he's still, incredibly raw offensively there was a jumper he took oh, yeah, in, that, yeah. in that second Gonzaga game where we were both like don't do it and it just it missed the left bad um but you did see the what he can be at least right now on the offensive end we, we saw that wonderful lob dunk and I told you as soon as it happened I'm happy I just wanted to see one monster dunk um he also was that the down. Boise or was that Gonzaga the Gonzaga game okay. um did really good job you know can, can one of the best lob finishers in this class. So you can see what he can be offensively uh, on the defensive end. Yeah. He moves his feet really well. I thought he was a really good communicator. Mm. Uh, always had his head on the swivel, which I think is important, especially when we've talked about some of these prospects, like getting beat back door and getting um, letting their guard down. He always seemed to know where he should be. I mean, you, you watched a lot of that, especially against Boise state, where they put four of their players up to press and they let him just guard the rim. He was guarding about two players simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So he had to be really quick on the reaction. I think his, his biggest strength right now is just his ability to get, um, to grow into his body. Like it's, it's easy to forget that he's probably the youngest prospect Mm -hmm. in this draft. So just what you're seeing now, like if, He's doing that against a 21, 22-year-old Drew Timmy, a 20-year-old Chet Holmgren, which I think also people um, gloss over. Like Chet's old, older for a freshman, and he has terrible guard play. So when you're trying to evaluate a college basketball player, it's so important to take all of the factors. The context in matters, man. Because he's not getting pick and rolls. He's mm-hmm. not. I mean, there, sometimes the coach is like, yeah, let's just let you isolate on the block and we're going to give you a post touch. He's hardly ever going to get a low post touch unless your name is Joel or Nicola. You're not getting the ball dumped into you more than two or three times a night. That's just not the modern NBA. So it's so difficult to see what this player can be, especially when his, his guards don't really know what to do there. It's a lot of isolations, a lot of bailout shots Um, to their credit. They played their asses off. I will give them that, but especially defensively. But what you can do is you can see the defense. You you can see him move his feet. You can see him, the verticality. I, I really think that the collegiate officials did him dirty in that Gonzaga game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Of the four fouls, maybe one was I legitimate. think one was le- the chat one was legit, I think. And it really took him out of the game. He played very sparingly in that first half. And then when he came in, 
in that that second half, he he knew he didn't want to pick up the another foul that would send him to the bench. So he's playing a bit tentative, but you saw what he could do. Like he was clamping Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy was hitting some prayer shots. I mean, there, there's no way he's he's hitting those shots on a consistent basis. It was just his night in that second half. But if you're Memphis, you want Timmy trying to do Kevin Durant rip throughs. You want him trying to dribble the hell out of the ball and spin fade off glass from 18 feet. That that's just a, a tip your hat. You made it tonight, mm-hmm. but if it's a seven game series, which it is in the NBA, you're going home. Like that. That's that's just what it was. And I feel like if he was able to play with the freedom of movement that he is at the the next level, and he didn't have that foul trouble, he was going to be much more physical. But but I think the best part about him was his second jump. He had a couple of moments where he would miss it, but he would go back at the rebound finish. Like mm-hmm. you can't teach a second jump, Sage. It, it was quick as a cat. Actually, I think this might be because of your commentary. Because we were up the, the the first game, it was a pretty empty empty gym because we were there was a lot of quietness. There was a play where the Jalen took a bad angle to contest. And then there was an attempted uh, attacking of the closeout. And you said, oh, no. And Jalen's foot speed just caught up to the Boise State driver and walled him off. That type of foot speed from a 6'9 guy is crazy. And you can just see the what he can do with that foot speed as a defender. Like, all the athletic markers are through the roof. Like, Penny Hardaway puts him in a bad position with the post-ups, but you see the what he can do as a defender, as a rotator. Like he's gonna cause a lot of destruction. Of he's gonna blow up so many damn plays. So the defense really made me happy. And then you're just trying, you're just trying to carve out something where it's positive minutes offensively. But that defense, I think every second that he's on the floor for whatever team drafts him is going to be some high leverage basketball with just this athletic freak of a man trying to uh, make some really awesome plays for you. I think he showed some good playmaking ability as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. A couple the, the of really nice passes, especially from free throw line extended, which uh, I think something... it was the Gonzaga game where he, he lob, lob passed lob. it to his uh, other big and he, for points, I think it happened like yeah. two or three times. Yeah, so you can see the potential. Like, if you want a modern big who can defend, you're going to have to spend a high lottery pick on on Jalen Duran. Players like Bam Adebayo, they don't just come across every draft. They don't come across every so often. So while he is raw offensively, you know, someone is going to roll the dice and take a chance because you need those type of bigs to who can play drop coverage, but who can also go out and hedge, who can go out and switch, who can handle their own. Uh, as best as possible for a person uh, of six nine stature to do so. He does have a really long wingspan. Oh, super! And um, I thought he did a really good job, especially against Chet Holmgren on the boards, um, using his his size and and length and quickness to move Chet out of position to tip it to his own man. Um, I, I came across like, okay, this is a player who I would be really happy with Portland uh, taking in the the middle part of of the lottery. So would you be cool with him being the 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 Blazers pick? I mean, is it, uh, uh, context does Portland still get New Orleans' pick? Yes. 
Yeah, depending on who else is left on the board at the guard, yeah, absolutely. Like if you can if you can walk away with with Jalen Duran and one of your shooting guards that you really like, I think you consider that draft a success. I mean that that's an improvement over last time we talked about Jalen with uh you drag you would be fine with him being the New Orleans pick and then we take a guard in the uh, with with the with our own pick. So definitely some improvement on your opinion of Jalen, which is, which is great. Um, What was the next game that we watched? I mean, I I really think the only NBA prospects that we were looking for, I I think were, were Jalen and Chet Holmgren. So did you think Imani Bates was great? In the he's on an restriction right now. Yeah. So he had he had a couple of jump shots, but like again, he's 17 years old. Like I, I think you need to, to see more from him and really was just focusing on, on Jalen in, in that Memphis game and Chet whenever uh Gonzaga was playing. But the, the thing with Chet is I love watching him play. I wish he would have went to another school. I think Mark Few, Andrew, Timmy block his potential times a thousand. And it's so much of a bummer watching Chet bring the ball up the floor, knowing he could pull from three. And he's just like, no, I'm going to you know pass it side to side, or I might do an entry pass to, to Drew Timmy because we're going to force feed Timmy the ball 18 times tonight. Like, I get that's college basketball, but I, I would love for him to have gone to a school where he could be the focal point and somebody else could be dumping into him. They could run more, more uh, looks for him because he's a fucking unicorn of a player that if you wanted to, you could dominate inside, give him the ball inside touches and, and run curls for him to come off for, for threes. Like a coach with any sort of creativity could just drool and salivate over the opportunity to coach uh, Chet Holmgren, like I, I feel like Jay Wright at Nova or Jawan Howard at uh, Michigan would just do wonders for him. I, I just I, I know people love Mark Few and I know he's a great college coach, but he's handcuffing that dude. And it was so apparent watching that Gonzaga game. Both I mean, I, the lack of guard play like Namhart's like what's the when you go to a cookout, like what's the like the basic good thing that. Like he's the mashed potatoes of college Wait, basketball. You're having mashed potatoes at the cookout. I, feel like I don't know, man. Like I'm trying to think of a bad side, like a a, fi- a solid side dish that no one's like. You're thinking a potato salad. Okay, he's the potato salad of the NCAA, <laughs> where he does just fine, but just fine, just one just fine guard isn't enough to like drive he's not every the cobbler. Yeah, like it, it's going to be tough for Gonzaga when they only have one competent guard, really. Bolton takes a lot of high, difficult shots and makes them, but dribbling and playmaking is such a huge aspect. And one of the reasons I loved Gonzaga last year was they had three legitimate guards with uh, Jalen Suggs and Ajahi. So just to go from three to one, it, it's tough. So yeah, like with, with the lack of guard play, Drew Timmy just was super duper involved. And when we were watching that, uh, who did they play? They played Georgia State, and I, I think their center walled him off a lot in that first half. 
And I think when you watch Gonzaga and you watch, especially in person, they don't run a single play really for Chet, um, at least no. late in the year. Like they were struggling a bit and they went to their safety blanket, which was post up to Drew Timmy and they force fed Timmy, but they actually went on their run. And we were discussing this in the stands when Timmy went to the bench and they actually started playing free, free flowing offense, getting everyone involved. And you look up and, and Chet's dominating glass. He has 17 boards. He's playmaking for others. He has five dimes. He's playing defense, seven blocks, two steals. He ends up with 19 points on eight of 13 shooting. I don't think he had a damn play ran for him. So you can see how he really kind of checks all those boxes and can really stuff the stat sheet with minimal usage. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of people on Twitter talk about Drew Timmy's production and how he would help the Blazers. Wait, wait, you saw people say Drew Timmy would help an NBA team? Yeah, yeah, I definitely did. No, no, no. Drew Timmy is the epitome of big man on campus. Like he's 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 fabulous at this level. But if, if you watch Drew Timmy, do you think he's posting up Yusuf Nurkic and doing that baby hook? No, no that shit's getting sent back across the, the the half court line. I have more issues on his defense. Yeah, he's, than his offense because he can't he can't guard anybody really. Like in this league, there's freaks everywhere. So who is he defending? He's like he's the Jawan out on defense. Yeah, he the Jaw Okafors of the league that don't really exist anymore. Like he's gonna guard Moose. I think so, Drew Timmy would have been a good NBA player, like in the in the late nineties, early two thousands. It, it's just a different game, and like yeah. the Blazers don't run drop coverage. No. They run a very aggressive system. So do you think Drew Timmy can physically handle the type of defense that? the Blazers do no. It, it would be like a, a miserable time to watch Drew Timmy try and guard a, a point guard on the hedge. It, it just does not work. So I, I get it. He He's putting up a lot of production now, but going up a level, you're not going to be able to have that full switch on a point guard and then the, the opposing team not help. So it's just going to be – and dude doesn't pass. Like He gets the tunnel vision. Who, You know how I feel about Travion. Who's a better NBA prospect, Travion or Drew Timmy? Are you going to say Drew Timmy? I don't like either player as an NBA prospect. I think they're both Caleb Swanigan, if I'm being completely honest. Because I, I, I feel like they're similar, but the one thing Travion has over Drew is he's a willing passer. I'll give you that. Drew's, Drew's not going to pass it to the open three-pointer, which was open all the fucking time in the corner when he was posting up. Yeah, you know Travion's going to at least hit the uh, hit the open corner, man. With with your lowly critique of Drew Timmy, it's like no, he he's 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 going to be a great Gonzaga guy for another year. Hopefully, I don't think it's a smart move for him to go to the uh, if, if he league. wants. If he wants to play in the league, which I'm sure he does, he comes back to Gonzaga. He probably hires a scout or a trainer and he gets a little bit more leaner. He gets a little bit more laterally quick Mm -hmm. and he talks to Mark few and he says, Hey, I'm coming back. I don't need 80, 80 post-ups a game. Let let me hit some threes. Let let me work on my, my range because if, if he's able to do that, maybe, maybe. Maybe you're able to be a pick and pop big who comes off the bench and, you know, you're not a defensive type player, but you're able to to score the ball and you can have a Dante Cunningham type of career. Like that's, 
that's what it is. But like, it, it's so hard to defend. You're, you're trying to defend Trey Young, Damian Lillard. Yeah, like, the, the 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 league's the defense craftiness of Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. Chris Paul, if he if he sees like Luca Garza or Drew Timmy on him, he's just his eyes get wide. He's like, I got I got dinner right here. Like he's he's gonna put you in a blender and make life miserable. Like he sees the game four moves ahead of everyone else. Like it's it's why it's March Madness is so incredibly fun, but also just like pump the brakes a little bit. Like this is collegiate basketball. Like it's a noticeable talent gap. So just appreciate it for for what it is um did you notice anything though uh from chet so clearly there's a talent gap speaking of talent gap between georgia state and the memphis bigs which i felt like for the first time maybe in two or three months that chet played up against um a similar body type nba style like memphis had two to three big bodied bigs Mm -hmm. that i thought he did some good and I thought he struggled in, in areas as well. I think his individual post man-to-man defense is solid. He does a really oh, good, good job of letting the contact come to him and then using his length as an advantage. He, he blocked mm-hmm. he made Duren's life hell uh, a couple of times. And Duren is a very large human being where he struggled. And I saw this, you know, um, I think Bobby Marks or somebody or uh, Jonathan Giovanni uh, from ESPN did a clip breakdown of his, of his defense, just everything good and bad. He struggled. And I didn't notice this in live action because clearly you're watching it live and you're just kind of ball watching a little bit. He, even though he went to box out, he got just bumped off his spot countless times by those Memphis bigs. And he wasn't able to use his length as an advantage. And I feel like that's something that's directly translatable until he bulks up at the next level, because there's there's Jalen Durance on every roster in terms of body type. I think so, that's the biggest weakness in his game is the potential defensive rebounding where he just gets abused. Because yeah. let's be real, he is a very skinny seven-footer. But don't you think that that would be less of an issue if he's playing the four and Yusuf Nurkic is getting rebounds and he's more on the help side defensive? I, I, I think, think you can hide that. the issue down a bit. But you still can't have your four be a, be just a non-factor on the glass. I mean, we oh, I mean, he's about... going to be a factor. He's seven foot with a long wingspan. He's eventually he's going to get his rebounds. Yeah, we need, but... I mean, you need to clean the glass. I think that's what what starts it, especially in playoff basketball. Like when you especially brought this up, like in that, that series against Denver, like CJ and Dame have to crash the glass. You have to help your bigs out in playoff basketball. So if we're asking CJ and Dame to get in there and get some boards, like I think you need your four to be in there and banging as well. So like, I think throughout the course of a season, you could probably get away with it a little bit, especially if you have a really good rebounding three, like Nasir can be and a really good rebounding five, which I think uh, Yusuf needs Yusuf to can do that for sure. Yeah. Needs to stay a little bit healthy, but in I the mean, playoffs, we got we to make the playoffs before we worry about that. That, well, that's that's the goal. And if you draft Chet, like that has to be the goal moving forward. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that well, still is. Are we projecting issue. Chet to never get stronger and never get bigger? Because I, I think that's rookie the, year Chet's flag, going though? to have an rookie year Chet's going to have an issue with rebounding. Yes. But I mean, but isn't that the, the red flag with Chet is is not being able to put on the weight? Like people, I mean, that's a concern. Absolutely it is. But I mean, if I'm thinking about uh fully optimized shed i'm not thinking about him in his uh early 20s it's definitely an issue but i feel like you can hide it more if you're smart 
as a coach and realize, okay, this guy needs to have some help on the rebound. Chet helps on every other aspect except being big and bulky and re, uh, and getting that defensive rebound. But if you have Yusuf there, he can he can handle that. Like if if Chet and and uh, Yusuf are playing together, I feel like Chet's going to be in the perimeter trying to rotate and do the right thing. He might not even be in rebounding position because he's helping on the perimeter so much so Yusuf can handle the post. I think you can scheme out a, a lot of it, but that's always going to be the issue with Chet with it, with his size and frame is, you know, is he going to get bullied by uh, like a power forward? I think right now, I think Nasir, if he, Nasir would body him in a uh, boxing out match, but Chet is smart enough to get those rebounds. You know, Jalen Duran's a massively huge human being. So, I get why he struggled. I still think he's number one or number two in, in terms of prospects. He's just so good in everything else. And you have to scheme out some of the deficiencies he's, that he has. There's no perfect player. So if you yeah, want to fully optimize Chet, you got to do some things for him. One, and I don't know if it's... He also got 17 boards in the other game too. Yes. And different, that, I think that's, different level of talent, of course. Yeah. But. And I think that's expected like Georgia state. He, he should have done that one area. I wanted to, and let me back this up and this could be because of his role and it could be because he's afraid of getting taken out of the game uh, or like doing something the coach doesn't want him to do. Um, he hasn't been shooting the ball from three. Well, at all uh, over his past 10 games, just nine of 35 um, for 25% from downtown. He went 0 for 5 uh, in the two games in Portland, and they were all pretty uh, clear looks. Are you concerned at all about the three-point shooting not being as, um, I think, knocked down as someone like Jabari, or do you think it's just a, a shooting slump that, that all players go through? I don't think anybody shoots as well as Jabari or AJ or uh, Lee from Davidson. Those three are just special. I don't ever expect Chet to be as good of a shooter as Jabari. He might have a better shooting percentage because he takes a lot easier shots than Jabari because he's going to Jabari in a good role is probably going to be on the move a lot. I kind of give Chet a, like a B as a shooter. Like he's never going to reach that a level. Never say never. I don't think he reaches the a level of being like the, the sharpshooter on the team. But I think that he's a very capable, good shooter. It, it, I felt like in that in those two games, Georgia State University and uh, Memphis made it a point to make that shooting pocket pretty dirty. So he would pass out of shots that you and I would have liked him to do it because it was the right basketball move. I, I trust the shooting. It's everybody has some slumps it's a shame that we didn't see it but i still think he's going to be a better than average three-point shooter if he's not shooting the ball well from downtown what is he giving you on offense i'm honestly shocked that he set such good screens for how skinny he is like he was put in his full force and weight into the screens i think if he isn't hitting a three he can be a screen setter a dho operator He's definitely a better passer than a lot of the other bigs in this this draft class. You saw a lot of those 
nice dump offs while he was driving to Drew Timmy in a really cramped uh, paint or just like the nice soft lob pass to uh, Drew as he was post- posting up. There's things that he can do when the shot isn't uh, greening the way we would like it to green from three. So Jalen and Chet were obviously the main attractions for our Trailblazers uh, lottery picks from th- from that standpoint. Watching those six games, were there any prospects that you're like, I don't know if I would draft them or they would be a second round type of talent? Who else did anybody else stand out to you? You know, we got to talk about our girl Zippy, the uh, <laughs> the kangaroo uh, uh, mascot. She was fantastic if you look on twitter you can see zippy doing the splits after she does a jig so obviously that's number one but i think our guy tommy koozie is worth at least a summer league invite you in so game tommy koozie point guard st mary's yes game one he was doing whatever he wanted he was attacking closeouts he was attacking a, a defense every time he wanted and we thought that the Indiana team was decent and he made them look foolish on a lot of attempts. He doesn't really get rushed. If you watch and only watch this, the uh, St. Mary's versus UCLA, you would think that this guy sucks, but honestly, like that team did not play the way they should have played at all. They were trying to dump it into a guy that may or may not be a good post-up threat. I haven't watched enough, but he was getting doubled and throwing bad passes that led to turnovers and runouts for UCLA. Like the scheme and what they were trying to do on a given play was just wrong for what we have seen from St. Mary's in the past. Like I probably watched four St. Mary's games. That was the weirdest and worst way that they played. So I, that was uh, the, the worst performance I've seen from Tommy Cousy. Like I, I'm not saying we sign him with our first pick, but I definitely think like if he doesn't get drafted, if he goes for the and tries to get drafted, I would definitely give him a undrafted free agent contract for sure. Yeah, I, I bring him onto the summer league squad, especially because you need a, a point guard to run the show and, and set the table. How for is everybody. how is uh, Greg Brown going to get those passes that he needs to develop? Mm-hmm. You need a playmaker to make those guys look better. Like yep. Chris Paul made Bismack Biombo look good. Point yeah, guards I mean, do a I lot. I think St. Mary's played the way they normally play against Indiana. Uh, I don't think anybody saw them doubling up the Hoosiers, but the, when he, when he is at his best, he is initiating the offense. Uh, he's his spot up shooting is is immaculate. Like he's a knockdown shooter, uh, probes through the defense, finds the weaknesses, and when he's on the break, he makes the right decisions. He had a couple of passes on the break, where he's, you know, drawing two defenders, throwing it behind his head mm-hmm. for for a layup, and you're like, okay, th- this guy gets it. Um, against UCLA, for whatever reason, they switched up the scheme. They decided to play more isolation basketball. Do you think they, they got no, nervous? I don't know. Uh, it it might have been. I, I just I don't understand the the coaching in, in that one. That's not their game. Like when mm-hmm. I watch them play, they beat you. If anybody has ever played rec ball, you played you know summer league or you know you go down to like the hoop and you play like PortlandBasketball.com. You ever see that like older team? And you're like, oh, we're going to fuck this team up. And they just come out and they're slow, but they run circles around you with their passing and their cutting and their ball movement. That was St. Mary's against Indiana. They tried to play like uh, a traditional college team against UCLA. And they they don't have the size. They don't have the bodies. 
they're not an isolation team. They're not going to break you down. And, and then everything's going to come after that initial breakdown. They tried to just get the UCLA bigs in foul trouble. It, it didn't work. Uh, they're, they're big. I don't I, think it's worth it either. Like they, their bigs suck. And it's, it's a, it's a really bad brand of basketball to watch. Um, to, to and be, to I don't honest. think the big is good enough to like demand that many no. post-ups in a game where they're, they're, they're like a pick and roll spread out pat, good passing team. And they, they just didn't really do it. And it was kind of disappointing because I thought that St. Mary's was just a better basketball team than UCLA, but talent and size kind of won out for UCLA in that department. But uh, I, I feel like we had the most fun on day one watching the zips versus UCLA because the zips just had that it, it factor of, we don't have anything to lose. So let's, put on the uniform and try our fucking best. Well, I think that game was fun because it was game four, a four on a our single Our brain day. cells were done, though. We were fried. Well, I think beer number three, finally, you know, I, to be, to be honest, there was no drinking and driving. We had three rain years over the course of 12 hours, but it was, it was the third beer that just tasted extra cold <laughs> slice of pizza to, to get us through. And, you know, we were just having, having a blast, like, the, the zips we see the mascot you know it's doing the waddle it's doing the hula hoop you're just like okay like it, it's a it's fucking zippy like let, let's go upset it's a fucking was party zippy's here and it was just fun just to, to yell random things like you know you're not built for this to ucla and zippy was definitely built for this um so so that that was incredibly fun like you're you're kind of like you don't realize it but you lose all track of time you it's light out one time and then you go outside and it's it's pitch black dark and you're like oh it's time to go to bed and i haven't really had a good dinner so you have to make like food plans i know you order taco bell i made myself some like what i usually make for breakfast i just made some oatmeal because it was quick and i was like i i need food um and then you're like well shit i'm still awake because i've been you know occupied in my mind for for 12 hours but it was just like game four for it's it definitely takes a lot more stamina sitting on my ass than I ever imagined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was close though. Like, even though we were having fun, like that game was legitimately was close. Fun. And if I believe that there was a lot of one-sided calls in that game that negatively affected the Zips' chances of winning, like you got to reward both teams for aggressiveness. You can't just reward one team because then that, that it makes it feel like it's not a fair contest. Like UCLA deserves some of those free throws, but I feel like the Zips deserve the same because let's be real about the Zips. That's an isolation heavy team that goes to the basket almost every play. They need they go to the foul line a lot on a normal basis, and I don't think they did. At the so that was our experience with the Portland uh, region. Obviously, we are now at the Sweet 16, seeing a lot of massive upsets. A lot of our prospects that we've talked about, their seasons are complete. Sage, give me a player or two that, in your eyes, and in your eyes and your evaluation, their stock is is on is on the up and up after the first uh, weekend of the tournament. Maybe it's because I just enjoy them so much, but Jalen Ivey was just a fucking menace in the last two games where, like, I feel like a lot of people that haven't watched Purdue play basketball are very sold on him. Like he's taking some very aggressive long threes that are going in. He's playing with so much confidence. Like one thing that I enjoyed was that 
this game they showed like the parents and his mother was just so hyped for him like every two minutes her son did something amazing and she just was so hyped to see her baby boy do so well so i think ivy has to be number one yeah i ivy was was spectacular and i think he's the type of player that rises to the occasion when you're looking at the the guard play in the draft he's the type of player that can create his own shot he's you know you hold your breath good when he gets the ball in the open court and just kind of uh elevates and accelerates um does both of those things incredibly well you don't know what type of highlight you're going to get um i thought he played spectacular um in that texas game especially in the clutch hitting that that deep three you can really tell that Purdue stops fucking around and they, they give him the ball to, to create. And I thought he made a lot of special plays um, and he's hitting NBA threes. And I think that's important. A lot of people look at college three point percentage and be like, Oh, that's going to translate. No, you need to take one to you know, two to three steps back. That's the NBA line. There, there's a massive difference. So just because a player can knock him down in college doesn't mean it's going to go to the next level, but he is definitely taking some deep NBA threes and you can can see that it may not be knockdown, but he's uh, really um, improving at that level where mm-hmm. defenders now have to respect that shot. And with his speed and athleticism, that first burst, don't get up too quick because then he's going to blow right by you and just create for for everyone else. But uh, just a, I think a magical player that is going to have a say uh, in terms of the top. Not not only four, I think he could he could legitimately crack the, the top three. I think in my mind he elevated himself a little bit more than every other guard. Like, I think he's, hmm. to, to be honest, he's, he's number two on my board now. Like, I, I just, I think, like, you're starting to see, like, everything from where you started watching him in, in the fall and where he's came now. It's like, okay, this. Huge improvement. It, yeah, like, he, he's improving, and he's he's a, you know, primetime player. Like, he has yeah. the ball in his hands, and he's making it. He is, he is the engine uh, of, of that, that team. I'm going to leave Me- Benedict Mathern for you because that is your uh, beloved, but I think that he definitely uh, played well. I did not see the first game. I don't even know who they, they played in the first game. They played right state. And yeah, it's, it's really hard to, it's almost like you're watching this, you know, evaluating uh, what the Blazers are doing. Yeah. Now. The, it's watching the Blazers. Yeah. You're, you're trying to project a blowout. Like, of course, I mean, he's been playing Pac-12 conference caliber opponents for the past three months. Like now you're going back to early preseason. Like mm-hmm. there may be some rust. There may not be like the, the important part is you get the win and you move on. Like, I think it's important not to get too high. It's equally important not to get too low about tournament performances. So I, it's more about how the player is taking over more so than just if they are taking over. And I think that's the, the comparison I can make between a Drew Timmy versus a Jaden Ivy and a Benedict Matherin, how those two uh, guards are taking over, I think really translates to the next level. Um, you know, we talk about Damian Lillard a lot, how he can go five of 20, but still get 30 points because he's getting to the line 15 times. Matherin is doing a really good job of getting to the free throw line and, and he, he's converting. I think he's doing a fantastic job of playing with the ball, and playing without the ball. And of course you talk about that it factor with, with Jaden Ivy. I think I'm starting to see that with Matherin, like game on the line, you're down three, you're about to get upset. It's a pro Arizona crowd and you pull from NBA range and it's, it looks beautiful. It's nothing but net. He's then crashing the glass in overtime, refusing for that jump ball to take place, getting an and one 
looking engaged on defense, which is something we've both been been dying to see. Um, really just playing like the conference player of the year. Had a really great setup to Coloco again on that lob. I really love how he operates off of the curl and is able to see the, the floor. And even if it's just one read, it's still, you know, our guards don't throw lobs. You know, Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons are NBA guards that make a lot of money. They don't really, I don't know if they know how to throw that pass, but they don't do it. And to see, you know, a college two guard, like, like Ivy, I think they're both secondary playmakers make that pass. Like that's, that's something that you want to see. So, I mean, I thought that was a high pressure situation and uh, Matherin delivered. So uh, I, you know, I think both of those players, Ivy was mine as well as Matherin um, really rose their stock. Um, I think Duran maybe slightly elevated his stock in, in my mind, just seeing what he can become like defense is, is really necessary in the league with so many well, players I mean, who can fill it up. <laughs> Not in the little shows world, but in every other world that there is, definitely. I, I always believed in the shot. I always believed in the movement shooting. I believed in the cutting. He showed that the stuff that I believe in his game, still believe in it. I, I, think, I, I think he's moved past Johnny Davis, who Wisconsin had a fucking horrendous Tournament. Two games. If we're being if we're being honest, Wisconsin had a terrible two games. They had mm. to claw out a game against Colgate, who hadn't played a top twenty-five team all season long, and they eked their way to what was a it? Loss. <laughs> they, they lost, but they eked their way to forty-nine points. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnny Davis had seventeen points and nine boards in that game, but. I, and this is where it's hard for me to evaluate. And I would, I was going to pose the question, which player maybe dropped their stock in your eyes. And I think we're both on the same page with Johnny Davis, a player who, if you go back and listen to the future Friday, I am all aboard Davis. And and I, I still see the vision with Davis. I think his roster is incredibly poor. And I think it's, that's it's, it's just as bad as LSU and all the Iowa and Memphis. And I feel like Memphis is very talented. They're just an awful team. Yeah. But when I watched Davis, and this is, I think, where, where Matherin and Ivy they have a much have better separated, mm-hmm. is even when Davis had the ball, he had a hard time of just making shit happen. And again, I get it. Purdue and Arizona are probably t- maybe two times more talented than, than who Davis has around him. But I just needed to see a little bit more. And again, this is where not getting too low on a player uh, comes in handy because I remember I've said this anecdote before, but I watched James Harden uh, in 09 Arizona state. He put up a clunker and I was like, I don't know about this player. Well, he, he went on to win an MVP. Like it's important to note that this is one game. It's a high stakes environment, but you are playing with collegiate level teammates. And it's really important to remember this. Players get better. What you see now isn't the player that is going to be wearing your team's uniform in the fall or two to three years down the line. Like players improve. So really keep that in mind. But if I did have to pick a player, Sage, I'm with you. I think Davis uh, is down a rung or two on my list. I, I mean, like the, the problems that he had when we talked about him in the beginning of the year existed now. And maybe because of the shitty team that he's on and then the 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 all the circumstances that come from it just got 
exposed a little bit more than we expected. But he's still a very good player. He's probably he's definitely still a top 10 talent. Um, and I think teams are going to fall in love with what he can bring and produce. But, I mean, if we're going to talk about disappointments, that, that has to be up there. I mean, I, I know that a lot of brackets were busted because of Iowa. Keegan Murray and Iowa, they were obviously a lot of Final Four projections for them. I think that he might have, he should have taken a, uh, they should have won that game. So maybe his stock gets lower, but I, I feel like it's still, it's still, still too high. So, but I, I think Davis is the the main guy that I think of. May, I mean, Auburn's guards are still really bad and they costed them something. There's been so many damn disappointments this year. Like, do you think Ty Ty is affected? I mean, I think you kind of have to be when you lose. He's like the one true point guard in this draft. Yeah, I mean, you you lose against uh, St. Peter's, who had never won a game before, and now they're all the way in the Sweet 16. They're everybody's Cinderella. Um, I, I just I don't want to get too low on a prospect for for one bad game. Uh, but it happens to everybody. Look at University of Virginia. They were the only team as a one seed to ever lose to a 16. They bounced back the next year and they won the national championship. So I, I think I think if, if you're high on Tai Tai before that game, you're still probably high. And if you were low on him before, probably feel the same way. Like it's it's important to note that that it is one game. Um I think for me, a player like Walker Kessler, I'm even more confused about. He had a brilliant performance against Jacksonville State and then kind of got in foul trouble. Some really oh, stupid it was fouls real bad fouls against I, the University of Miami, a team that, you know, we talked about um, played a lot of guards. And this would be a good test for him at the next level because he's likely going to be guarding smaller, quicker, faster players. Um, so that was, makes me confused about Kessler. Like he can look like that, that Rudy Gobert, you know, just eraser. And then he can look about like just uh, an average run of the mill backup big. But again, it's important to put into context how ugly and sloppy that Auburn offense was just run and gun, catch and shoot, horrible shots running. I mean, there were times they would just take the ball running into three other Miami defenders and Miami would take it the other way. Like the Miami coached the shit out of them. Yeah, Bruce Pearl is was that was a horrible coaching job. Just letting Wendell Green go rogue. I mean, just some of the players uh, plays, excuse me, that, that that was being executed really all season long. I mean, we we knew this would happen. Like I, I had them as a Final Four team, but I could see obviously this happening as well. Like it, it's it's a very uh, up and down team that ebbed and flowed all season long, and you know they finally you know, kind of got bit in the butt. So in that case, it's hard to say like, oh, Walker played terribly. Well, if you're playing an NBA assist, like you're you're not just going to be that, you know, careless with your offensive possessions. Like Kessler's probably going to be able to set some screens, maybe pick and pop, like maybe, you know, clean up some offensive boards. Like there was none of that. There was zero rhythm from the jump from the Auburn players. And so like, that's a scenario where I look at it and say, it's just a bad situation for him to be in where the guards are just playing like absolute crap and you're not, you're ended up looking like, you know, kind of the same thing. So that's where I'm kind of torn on Kessler. 
I think if we're looking at other players, Kendall Brown kind of is who I, I thought he was. I think he needs to come back um, in terms of developing, de- developing his game. But on the flip side, I thought Jeremy Sohan played incredible defense. Incredible. Uh, this weekend. The there's effort a, he used in that comeback. It, it, there's it was. a thread that I retweeted on Twitter. And it broke down his first round performance, I think, against Norfolk State, just defensively and the little things that he does. And it's not something you catch just watching it live. Like, it's something you have to go back and be like, oh, he really did all of these three little things that don't show up in a box score. Um, Just probably, I think, the best defender in this draft class, uh, especially if you're looking at something that projects to the next level. The way he can guard out of the I think right now, yeah, Chet's got to get stronger. Chet's the best interior defender in this class, but Chet's not going out in the perimeter and busting up. Like, I, I think Chet projects higher, but right now I think Sohan's the most versatile. Is that most versatile defender? I still think Tari's better, but I, I, I think that Sohan is great. Yeah, I think I think he helped himself um, a lot. And I think just what he does, I think you can slide him right in. And the thing for him is, like, if he gets that just league average jump shot, he'll be a starter. If not, What did you think go. about that? A bank in three with like 30 seconds left. Sometimes the banks open on the weekends. Hey, man. I mean, watching that comeback was awesome to see. It it really screwed up my bracket, not having them lose when I thought they were going to win it all. But, uh, you know, to see the effort that they placed in defending and like that aggressive style that the Baylor Bears play, I mean, to see what he can do in all three levels is. Yeah, like he's definitely third on my list as a, as a defender. Like, yeah, and that's that's really about it. Like, I don't think like anybody's just like completely off of my board because of how they performed. I think it's honestly in in a good good way. Like, I like prospects more than I did um, prior, and I think it's really important too. Like, if you're into the draft and you're you're trying to get into it and you're watching a lot of games, like. The biggest pitfall I found myself guilty of is like over critiquing. Um, It's like if you're trying to find something that's wrong there that really may not be wrong. Like it's you can't critique every single play. Like it's 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 something that I try to tell myself because I'm like, oh, I'm not really seeing this. Well, it's like, well, just just pump the brakes a bit and just take the totality of the performance because even our favorite player, Damian Lillard, like he can have a great line at the end of the night, but if you watch play by play, you're like, Oh, this was bad. This was bad. This was bad. But at the end of the night was his performance. Excellent. Absolutely. So it's, that's why being, I think a scout is so, I think equal parts intriguing and terrifying because it's, it's, it is a science and sometimes it's just a a gut feeling. I mean, like when we watch Kendall Brown, like my notes for Kendall Brown versus Jeremy, like I had like 30 things for Kendall because like it kept popping up. The issues continually popped up. Then I was just like, well, I thought he was this, but this other thing has made it. So that is the thing that I see most. But like with Jeremy, it's like I had eight things that I tried to make a 20 minute (laughs) deep dive on where it was just like, he's in the right spot. When, when you have that thing of, okay, he's in the right spot. Oh, that's, that's weird. Whoa, whoa, that's weird again. Oh, that's weird a third time. Oh, is this what is this what this prospect really is? But yes, I get it. Like you can't 
it's not a good idea to just critique on, you know, a five minute clip session on, on wings and bigs. Honestly, I think that a five minute clip session on guards is better than a five minute because uh, you see a lot more the, the wings and bigs. You have to actually take that deep dive. Like, you know, when you, if you've seen Jay and Ivy uh, finish over contact 20 times, you're like, hmm, maybe he's better than I thought. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's all about if you have that knowledge of them before this high leverage situation and you liked them and, you had a, and they had a bad game, it's it's not the death sentence of them. All right. Is there anything else related to the tournament or draft you wanted to cover, Sage? I hope every player that got injured in the uh, in the games today and before get healthy and everything works out for them because we saw some pretty devastating ankle injuries and I felt like Trevor Keels should have broke his wrist on that fall. So you know I hope the uh, the tournament gods heal those injuries because I want to see a very uh, competitive Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight and final four as we wrap up the show it is going to be i think the the week that tells us this is the week in my eyes that tells us where we can probably expect portland to land in the lottery sage they finish up their road trip tomorrow night against the detroit pistons a team that's been playing uh, well as of late uh sadiq bay put up a 50 piece on thursday against orlando uh, they still have Cade Cunningham, uh, the number one overall pick um, from the past draft. Okay, uh, and then it, it's where it really gets dicey. You got the Spurs at home Wednesday and then a Friday, Saturday against the worst team in the league in the Houston Rockets. Oh, wait. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? If you're Joe Cronin, like I, I don't think we need to discuss the the opponents as much as we need to discuss the Blazers. Is there any discussion? Like I, I, it's coming up on, on a month since they were going to reevaluate Nurkic. I assume they'll hold him out for the season. I mean, um, I'm but, sure they have a, a check signed, sealed and delivered for Yusuf. But what, what do you think? That, do you think they keep moving justice in and out of the lineup? Do you think they ever to, to the two big questions? Do they, do they bring Amphony back at all this season? And what do you do with Josh Hart? Like, I just don't think they can afford another 40 piece. Uh, and getting like uh, another victory is as just disgusting as that sounds to say. I mean, at this point in time, like there's a limited number of games left. Full out tank teams are full out tanking now. So join the club. I mean, we already are. So might as well like give Keon 36 minutes to play with instead of giving him 16. So I, I I'm, I'm down for the full out player development 12 games to end out the year. Like a lot of these games are against other bad teams. So potential wins that turn into losses are humongous for us in the, uh, the uh, lottery odds. So I have no problem with just full out aggressive tanking. Cause that's what we've been doing for a while. And for a program note, our future Friday for this week's episode will be the first lottery mock draft and how that will take place is we are going to utilize tankathon's simulation system we are going to do it to where 
Portland lands a top four pick. They at least move up in the draft while also keeping New Orleans's pick. So whenever that scenario hits, we will then take that order. So you, you could be listening and saying, hey, why are the Rockets not picking one? Well, that that's just, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll lay it out there, but then we'll, we'll trade off picks. Uh, you know, maybe I'll go, Sage will go, or, or vice versa. And then we I'll you let know, you have the Portland guys. Whatever the Portland one, then we'll we'll make the draft that way. And then we'll we'll kind of discuss like who's who else is on the board, who would be a contingency pick. And I'm going to I think you will as well. We'll take team needs into evaluation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that we can have a real discussion of each and every player that that is in our 14 uh team mock. A lot of things whatever this tankathon sim goes, that a lot of things can change. So I mean, I, I'm ready to have a, a frank discussion on all of these prospects because we never – I mean, I think it's obvious that I like one shooting guard more than you and you like the other shooting guard more than me, but we've never had like a, a frank discussion of like where does land for you, where does it go for me? Like, So I think this is going to be a very interesting show. And, and we will plan on doing this one mock draft uh, a month. So we'll do one in March. We'll do one in April. We will do one immediately after the lottery has uh, actually taken place. And then we will have our full round one mock oh, in June. Both we'll do one on the pod, a little bit more quick, rapid fire. And then we'll do what we did With in 2020. We'll actually do a mock draft and, and, and you know do write-ups on, on the guys. And uh, that was really fun. Pretty time-consuming. So <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a special place of hell. That was we did awesome. all of this damn work, and then Robert Covington. Yeah, that, that part sucked ass, but it was fun <laughs> because you know I'd just be you know on the laptop and I'd be like, okay, say your turn, and then ten minutes later, like, okay, your turn, and we just go back and forth. But um, really, really fun. So uh, again, if you guys like what you're hearing, like what you're reading, please leave us that five star review. Leave us a comment; it really helps out um, the podcast. Sage, let our listeners know where they can find our, our episodes. We're available on everywhere you uh, listen to your podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast. So we're everywhere that you need to be. And if you if you like us, definitely give us that nice five-star review and uh, share it with your friends on Twitter and socials, man. We're, we're very online people, so... And I would like to say we're nice people. So fuck with us. We, we have a nice community of uh, Rip City fans. So fuck with us. And we will be back Friday to talk about our mocks. Peace.